This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for November 26, 2023. The title of the message is Blessed Hunger. We come now to the reading and preaching of God's Word. Uh, we're continuing our series through uh, the Beatitudes uh, as the first portion of our overall series on the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be looking at particularly verse 6. Uh, so before we hear God's Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask Him to illuminate our hearts and our minds so that we would comprehend and grasp what we're about to uh, hear. Let's go to the Lord. Our Father, Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. As we hear it read and preached, Lord, may, may we testify to ourselves uh, as we thoughtfully and um, as we hear your word read to us, that we would savor each and every word that comes from your lips. Uh, Lord, as we do that, as we partake of your word, uh, remind us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And Lord, would you be with me, your servant. Give me your Holy Spirit, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing unto you and would be a blessing to your people. We ask, Lord, all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. In college, I had a, a good friend who loved, who just, he was addicted to, he loved Diet Coke. So much so that he drank it morning, noon, and night. I mean, he, I all, he, he went so far as to buy one of those big, super, super, super big gulps that is like bigger than your head. And he would carry it around on campus. And it was always filled with Diet Coke. And uh, he had it with every meal, with every snack. I mean, I, sometimes I even wonder if he slept with it you know, in his arm and dream about it. But he loved Diet Coke so much uh, that we used to joke around that, you know, if he ever got a paper cut or if he was cutting vegetables, you know, uh, if he ever cut himself, that he would bleed Diet Coke. Um, and the reason when we jo why we joked about it was because if the saying goes that you are what you eat, right? And if that's true, if it's true that you are what you eat, then it begins with what you desire. It begins with the appetite, what you hunger and thirst for. This, doesn't, this not only applies to uh, our bodily appetite for food and drink, but it also applies to our spiritual appetite for spiritual things. 
such as worship and fellowship with God. Uh, What we hunger and thirst for says everything about what we love and what we long for, what we find our satisfaction and fulfillment in. This morning, Jesus points us to the promise that those who are spiritually hungry and who thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. They will not only be satisfied with righteousness, but that righteousness will lead to a right relationship with him. So let's look at from our passage what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. First, hungering and thirsting for righteousness means yearning for a righteousness with God. Righteousness is first and foremost grounded in the very character and nature of God. Righteousness is that attribute of God that reflects his holiness, his moral purity, his glory. And it's that aspect of who God is as the righteous judge of all the universe, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, that he is perfectly holy and just. And because God is righteous, everything he is and everything he does is righteous as well. In other words, he does what is always good and right and just. Never does he do anything Uh, that even hints at not being righteous or just. He is perfectly righteous and just, infinitely, eternally unchangeable, righteous and just. And this means then that he is the one who determines what is right and wrong. And he reveals that through his moral law, the law that he wrote into the fabric of the universe Uh, that reveals his nature, his divine nature, Romans 1. And it's that same nature that we try to suppress. It's also the revelation of his moral law revealed in Scripture, in particular, summarized in the Ten Commandments. It is that law that tells us what is right and wrong, good and bad, just and unjust, as a revelation of his own character applied uh, and built into the very fabric and life of the universe. And he revealed it so that we can know what is righteous and what is not. We can know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. And because because God made us in his image, because God is zealous for his own glory and righteousness, what is right, and, uh, and hates what is wrong, then that translates into our experience, into our heart, uh, because we're created in his image, a hunger and thirst for his righteousness. And not just his righteousness, but his righteousness done throughout the universe, throughout the world, in our lives and in the world around us. And so we were made to be like him in this way, to reflect his righteous character. And that means we were made to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, This is one of the ways that uh, we 
know this is true, this is why I think we can get, this is why we get so angry when we see people treated unjustly and fairly, including ourselves. This is why we get so angry when someone treats us badly because deep down in our hearts, we know that it is wrong to be treated badly. We know that when someone treats us unjustly, when we're oppressed, when, we, when someone commits violence in one form or another, uh, treats us in a way that we don't deserve, we get righteously angry. Why? Because we were innately built to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we recognize it. When we, when we recognize it, when we don't see it. This is also how righteousness points us to the very existence of a righteous God. If you believe there is such a thing as right and wrong, then you can only do that by presupposing a God who tells us what's right and wrong. Uh, when skeptics or atheists say, you know, if an all-powerful and righteous God does exist, then how can he, why does he allow suffering and injustice in the world? To which we would answer and we would turn that question on its head. And we would say it this way. If God, if, the, if a righteous and all-powerful God does not exist, then who are you to say that suffering and injustice is necessarily bad? Right? You have to presuppose the existence of a righteous God who defines what is right, right and wrong in order to call anything right or wrong, to, let alone an injustice being done in the world. You have to presuppose then a moral law that tells us good from evil. And if you presuppose a moral law, then you also have to presuppose a moral law giver. So in order to call anything good or bad, you have to presuppose a God who tells us what is good and bad. And so you kind of, you give, you give everything away with the very question of, of God allowing suffering or injustice uh, because you have no ground to stand on if you, uh, if, you, if you say that something is unjust in the world. Notre Dame, noted Notre Dame professor and philosopher Alvin Plantinga put it like this. Could there really be any such thing as horrifying wickedness if there were no God and we just evolved? I don't see how. There can be such a thing only if there is a way that rational creatures are supposed to live, obliged to live, a secular way of looking at the world has no place for genuine moral obligation of any sort, and thus no way to say there's such a thing as genuine and appalling wickedness. Accordingly, if you think there really is such a thing as horrifying wickedness and not just an illusion of some sort, then you have a powerful argument for the reality of God. Secondly, hungering and thirsting for righteousness uh, is, not only, is not only yearning for a righteousness with God, but it is yearning for a righteousness with God because we have a lack of 
or we have a need for a righteousness before God. Let me repeat that. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness not only yearns for a righteousness with God, but it's, we yearn for it because we have a lack of righteousness before God. How can you hunger and thirst for something if you already possess it? See, we don't have it, and so, that, that, so we, that's why we hunger and thirst for it. We desire it. We have an appetite for it. We want it because we don't have it. Uh, this takes us back to when God created humanity. He made us in his own image. And because he made us in his image, he made us good. He made us very good, Genesis 1 says. He made us upright and morally good, morally righteous and just. He made us to be like him, which is why then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness. But that hunger and thirst presupposes our lack of it. And the reason is because of our fall into sin and unrighteousness. We were made to love righteousness and justice. We were made to be like God in his righteousness. But when Adam and Eve fell into sin, they became unrighteous. We became sinners dead in our trespasses and sins in them and through them, our first parents. And as soon as our source, the fountain of righteousness in, in a relationship with God, when that was broken and cut off, that's when we began to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because we needed it, because we didn't have it. And like a broken pipe, our connection to the living water of God's own being and righteousness was severed, and we could no longer drink or eat uh, from that fountain of life in union and communion with God. And so now we hunger for the righteousness uh, that we enjoyed with God, and like we need food and water, we no longer have it, and so we hunger it, hunger for it. Ian Duggett says it this way, why do we need righteousness? Quite simply, it is the part of us made for fellowship with God. We were intended to be God's friends and to be in close relationship with him. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, uh, instead of choosing righteousness, they chose sin. They chose to go their own way to disobey God. And in consequence, they were driven out of the Garden of Eden. They believed the lie that being bad would be better and, pay, would be better and paid the penalty of a broken relationship with God and the loss of life in all its fullness. So then, we need righteousness, for without righteousness, we can never have the close relation with him that we were built for. Without that close relationship with God that only the righteous can enjoy, we shrivel up and die inside. This is why we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because of our lack of righteousness, we have no relationship with God. And that's what we ultimately hunger and thirst for. This has two implications for us. Because of sin, first, we can hunger and thirst for something less than the righteousness of God. And like junk food or fillers, we try to feed our hunger with all kinds of righteousness, including a self-righteousness, uh, to fill our empty stomachs. 
Right? That comes in so many ways. Right? We, we try to be right with God and with others. Uh, and this is why we try to earn our standing before God and others. This is, for example, what the Pharisees and the legalists tried to do. Uh, Isaiah put it like this in Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, right, unrighteous. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. See, when we try to be righteous, when we are actually unrighteous, then we are just heaping um, filth upon ourselves. I think I spoke about this a few weeks ago when the, the source of water is poisoned, everything downstream is poisoned. And so when the very heart of who we are is unrighteous because we are dead in our trespasses and sins, then everything downstream, our thoughts, our wills, our, our, our actions, our priorities, our hopes, our dreams, they're all downstream and they are all poisoned, equally unrighteous. And so because we were made to hunger and thirst for a right relationship with God, we try to experience that with other things less than God. This is why deep down inside, we do everything we can to be accepted and loved by those around us. This is what a right relationship with God was supposed to be, right? Once we uh, were accepted by God, we would be loved by God, and that's where we would find our our identity, our hope, and our security. But because that was broken and cut off, we try to find that with those around us, and it's never enough. Everybody's love and and acceptance is conditional. As As long as we scratch their back, they'll scratch ours. As long as we do this for them, they'll do that for us. As long as we accept them, they will accept us. And this is why we try to impress the people we most aspire to be like. We buy the right clothes, put on the right makeup, go to the right school, aspire to have the right friends, to make the right amount of money so that we can be accepted. Why? Because we hunger and thirst for a right relationship with somebody. Secondly, we also hunger and thirst. Uh, Another implication is that we hunger and thirst to be right. Uh, with ourselves, right? We're programmed, Jonathan uh, Haidt, a uh, professor of psychology at NYU, says in his book, The Righteous Mind, that human beings are programmed not just to be righteous, but to be self-righteous. We want others to see us as righteous, and so we think of ourselves as self-righteous. And so what that means then is that if we believe that we are self-righteous, then we will look down on other people. We will think ourselves more morally and socially superior than other people, and that means that we will treat other people with hostility and condescension. And this, according to Haidt, is the main reason why uh, our nation is so politically and culturally divided. We are so self-righteous that we can't tolerate people or ideas that we, can, that we disagree with. But it's in the hunger and thirst for righteousness that we realize then how unrighteous we really are. 
See, this is how the Bible kind of bursts our bubble of self-righteousness. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, no, not even one. All have turned aside, Romans 3.23. And so the blessed hunger and thirst for righteousness that Jesus is referring to here in verse six is a perfect righteousness that is given, not earned. By grace, not by works. And that is what leads to a right relationship with God. That is what will keep us from a condescension because of our self-righteousness. That is what will allow us uh, not to find our acceptance with our peers, but because we have a righteousness that wins for us an acceptance with God, that is where we will find uh, our true identity, hope, and fulfillment and joy. And that's why it is is a blessing to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is why we will be satisfied because it wins for us a right relationship with God, that which we've been longing for our whole lives, that God will love us and accept us, not because of anything in us, not because of anything that we've done, not because we are good, but simply because God loves us and pours out his grace and gives us a perfect righteousness that we did not earn nor did we deserve. And it is based upon that righteousness that we are accepted. So how do we then receive that righteousness? Uh, This brings us to my last point. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness means not only yearning for our righteousness with God, because we need it, but it ultimately satisfies us with a righteousness from God in the gospel. Uh, So let me uh, give you that outline again so just you can have a sense of the movement, is we hunger and thirst for righteousness, yearning for it because we don't have it, and so we receive it, and that satisfies us and it's because of the gospel. When God made us in his image, when God made us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, in the gospel, he promises to satisfy that hunger with his very own righteousness. See, friends, brothers, this is the good news of the gospel. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus in the gospel feeds us with a righteousness, not our own, but one that he has earned for us that will fully satisfy all of our needs. And by faith, by faith, it means that he gives it to us then by grace, as a free gift. He gives us a righteousness that satisfies our every yearning. He gives us nothing less than a perfect righteousness uh, think of it this way. Think of it as a uh, famine relief of righteousness. That righteousness is like food and we are starved. We are nothing but skin and bones, spiritually speaking. And we need the righteousness that comes from God like manna come down from heaven. Like life-giving water that flows 
into our souls. And God gives it to us in the righteousness of his one and only son in the gospel. In the gospel, God gives us his righteousness because Jesus took our unrighteousness. Jesus took our hunger so that we might have his fullness. Jesus took our thirst because of our sin so that we might drink deeply of his living water. See, Jesus, in giving us his righteousness uh, when he took our unrighteousness in the gospel so that by faith we receive his, un- his righteousness, what he really is doing is giving us himself. And righteousness is the byproduct. In the gospel, Jesus took uh, the hunger and thirst of our sins and suffered God's eternal wrath and judgment so that from the depths of his own suffering, he cried out, I thirst. It wasn't because he had no water. It was because he suffered uh, for our unrighteousness so that we might be fully satisfied as we drank of his righteousness. In bearing our judgment, he hungered and thirsted because of us. In crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the soul-churning forsakenness of a hunger and thirst for God that couldn't be satisfied. Why? He hungered and thirsted for God when God forsook him so that you and I might be satisfied and filled with his righteousness that redeems, restores, reconciles us to a right relationship with God so that God would never forsake us, but he would always, he would always be with us so that we might have fellowship with God and find our deepest satisfaction in him and with him. This, friends, brothers and sisters, is the blessing of righteousness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that in the gospel by faith in Christ, we are satisfied and filled with him. What a promise you and I have. When we hunger and thirst for him, we are satisfied by him. When we long for him and his righteousness, we are filled by him. This is what Jesus meant in John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Friends, brothers and sisters, are you hungry and thirsty for God? Do you feel a sense of emptiness without him? Do you feel a sense of alienation from God and and you're looking for something to fill your heart, to satisfy that deep desire that you have for something greater than what you have in this life, greater than all your possessions, uh, greater than, 
than uh, your 401k and your bank account, greater than the house and the car and the properties, whatever it is that you own that you can't take with you when you die? Are you hungering and thirsting for an eternal satisfaction that nothing can ever take away? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness that you can only then find in God? Because if you are, if you do, you have it in the gospel. And when you hunger and thirst for God, he will satisfy. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the great promise that you will satisfy our hunger and thirst for righteousness and for you. Father, uh, if there are folks who feel hungry and thirsty uh, for, for a deeper joy and meaning in their life, Lord, would you give them a taste? Would you help them to taste and see how good you are and to satisfy those longings in yourself? We ask, Lord, all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.